This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey, traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and this is Limit Up. It's where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. Today, we've got our co-host of Market Forecast and former U.S. Marine, Danny Hodgman. Danny, how you doing? Hey, Eddie, I'm good. How are you? Pretty good, my friend. Uh, Danny, in this podcast, we're highlighting Eric Semft, a uh, recognized future trading expert and the president of IndicatorWarehouse.com. You know, we're going to be talking about his trading techniques and what traders need to do to make themselves better. And, and his take on the secret to successful trading. That sounds great, Eddie, but a secret, huh? Is there really a secret to successful trading? Uh, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you, that was my question also. Um, we hear about that so-called holy grail in trading, and you know, we know they don't exist. But you're going to like what he has to say. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear what Eric's experience with coaching traders is. Uh, I, myself, have talked with many traders and uh, what they're doing wrong and what they're doing right and what the best best answers are to get them fixed. You know, Eric's going to be hitting that question and a lot more elusive trader topics head on. Now, speaking of hitting, uh, not hitting stops, of course, but uh, hitting golf balls. Did you know Eric considers himself not only a tradeaholic, but a golfaholic? You know what? Mindsets for golf and trading go hand in hand. Yeah, I totally agree. And did you know, Danny, that there's a book perfecting the emotional side of golf that a lot of traders considered one of the most helpful lessons with emotional trading? You know, I have heard. I've actually read a lot of books on uh, golf emotions because those are things I've struggled with myself. Just switch out golf for trading. Yeah, the title of that book, um, every golfer should read this. That's what it was. <laughs> right straight to the point. And when I started learning electronic trading, this book was offered to me to read. And I said, it's, it's about golf. And what was told to me was, like you said, just switch out the word golf to the word trading. That's it. <laughs> so, Danny, let's get this party started. You ready for my chat with Eric? Lock and loaded. All right, cool. Great. Uh, pull out your notepads, sharpen your pencils, sit back and absorb some education from Indicator Warehouse's Eric Seft. <laughs> Eric Sift is a recognized futures trading expert, has been trading futures since 1995. He's a registered CTA, designated trader kingdom expert, a trading teacher, coach, and contributor at Wetland Investor Report, MrSwing.com, PitNews.com, and the Technical Analyst Magazine, among others. Uh, Eric lives in the Pacific Northwest and can be usually found chasing a golf ball when he's not busy trading or talking trading. Certified tradeaholic, certified golfaholic, and president and owner of IndicatorWarehouse.com. Would you please welcome Eric Seft. Eric, how are you? I'm good, Eddie. Thanks for having me. It's very nice to have you, and uh, very nice to have you back here again talking with us. I figured uh, this would be a uh, a nice venue to get Eric on, especially since uh, your new title is president. Um, I was going to ask you a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Adam Halpern actually started Indicator Warehouse uh, about 10 years ago, and I came on board shortly afterwards. And, uh, you know, we've been plotting along, uh, developing market uh, trading system, uh, unique indicators to trade the markets. 
and last year, Adam decided he wanted to uh, go back to school and pursue his master's degree in psychology. Wow. So that's what he's doing, and he couldn't juggle both the balls at once, so I took over Operation of Indicator Warehouse. Fantastic. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, talking about starting um, in your trading career, what got you started mm-hmm. in the trading world, Eric? You know, funny enough, it was a Ken Roberts mailer that showed up in my mailbox one day. I was back, I think this was would have been back uh, back in the 1900s, in 1999. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, in 1990, sorry. Um, I would have got the mailer, and it was something I was always interested in. I had done some finance in school, and uh, yeah, I sent away from the information, and I kind of got hooked from there. I'm pretty much a self-taught trader. Um, I did do some university. I have a a degree in finance. And uh, yeah, about five years later, I got started trading futures. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. Well, there you go, kids out there listening. Um, Teach yourself and then become president. (laughs) I I tell you, that's uh, that's golden, my friend. uh, I'm glad you shared that with us. Trading, trading, trading. Now, You've been trading since 1995, so you've come across a lot of different markets. You've come across the evolution of markets and uh, throughout your career in trading. What are some of the markets that you like to follow and why? Well, uh, you know, when when I first started, there was no Internet. There were computers were still took up the size of a suitcase. And uh, we got all our charts by mail. So there was no such thing as day trading unless you were standing in the pit. Right. And uh, so most of us did our, our trading. We were following monthly trends or daily trends. But, you know, boom, 25 years later, here we got the, uh, the Internet. And uh, anybody can trade from their home office uh, using a laptop. So my markets have shifted from, you know, being a grain and soybean trader to day trading uh, the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is my personal favorite. And I think it's, a, you know, often an overlooked market because people don't give it a second glance because it's only $5 a tick. But what they don't realize, if you take a look at your NASDAQ chart and you compare it to the E-mini S&P, which is the one that people are always gravitating towards, if you measure swing for swing, you'll see that the NASDAQ and the E-mini trade about the same dollar amount. So if you have a $400 move in the NASDAQ, you've got a $400 move in the E-mini, you know, uh, rounding uh, numbers aside. But at $5 a tick, the NASDAQ is a lot more palatable. You can uh, trade a more reasonable stop. Uh, A lot of times you can trade multiple contracts, uh, whereas trading the E-mini at, at Twelve fifty a tick. Uh, sometimes you know it's harder to keep that stop a reasonable distance away and um, leverage uh, more than one contract, especially if you're a small account trader. You know, correlating markets. Uh, you know, like to watch that also give you a uh, give mm-hmm. you a little uh, leg up on you know putting in a buy or putting in a sell, starting your trade. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, we've noticed. Uh, as we do the broadcast, as we do our Facebook community discussions and stuff, notice that the the Dow, you can sort of put the Dow in that category, too, of direction mm-hmm. movers. 
and, you know, leaders and laggers. Who's going to be the leader today? During the broadcast, I think we brought this up last time we talked. We call them the sisters. All right. The S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they sort of hang around together and move same directions at times. Sometimes uh, you always got one, obviously, being sisters, uh, disagreeing with the other two. And, you know, that's what you look for. You you try to find, you know, which way the markets are moving. Who can I watch to see if another market is moving? And it's it's a good thing you point out there. What other markets uh, do you like to follow, like to watch? Well, from a day trading perspective, like I said, I'm pretty much focused on the NASDAQ. Um, The mini Dow is uh, also a good one, as you pointed out, uh, for the same reasons, because it's a lower tick instrument. I used to follow the 30-year bonds a lot. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful when you're trading the bonds. They say the bond traders are the smartest traders in the world. And at 31.25 a tick, (laughs) you don't want to be messing around too long. So I... I would scalp the bond markets for two or three ticks, you know, get in, get out, feel like I was picking their pockets. But um, I I don't think you need to watch a lot of markets. I get people coming to me saying, you know, here's my market mix. I'm following six markets. Are these good markets to follow? And it's everything from gold and crude to the NASDAQ, the Russell and the E-mini. And it's like you don't need to watch that many markets. If you're doing it right, you can follow one market learn that market's little nuances and still make money. That's my opinion anyway. You know what? You're hitting it right on the head there. When traders start putting up too many watchful eyes on different markets, you got too much going on, you know, always trying to mention that it being like a girlfriend or a boyfriend, how many girlfriends and boyfriends do you need a week? You know, (laughs) and the thing is, you know, you want to focus. I mean, if you're looking for a, a successful relationship, you need to focus on one, all right? The one mm-hmm. that you like, the one that corresponds nicely, the one that works with you, focusing on one. Because if, you, if you've got seven boyfriends or seven girlfriends a week, you know, it, things mm-hmm. really aren't going to pan out. Now, one of the things also is, uh, you know, having these markets and the changing of the markets. Markets evolve. And, you know, you started back in 95 and and things Mm -hmm. are different. I think back in 95, when we were looking at, on the trading floor, when we were looking at electronic trading, you know, we we sort of said it with a giggle because, you know, we were kicking and punching, screaming and yelling in the pit (laughs) for the open outcry. Mm -hmm. And then these guys were up in the bleachers, up in the seats with uh, gaming controllers, putting in trades and such. And, you know, it's obviously right now we know where online electronic trading has landed. And we have to sort of take that and, you know, run with it. Now, how did you adapt with markets changing now that we have a bigger online community? Well, it's, uh, yeah, you know what, that's so true. I, I think back again to getting the paper charts in the mail every week and then updating them by hand every night. And now we've got you know, everything's totally electronic. It is a learning curve. I used to be uh, very much a position trader where I would never follow the intraday market. I always thought it was distracting. And now I think the pendulum has swung so far the other way. I think there's definite advantages to being a day trader, to watching the market unfold. You kind of get a feel for uh, the pulse of the market, uh, how things are developing. Uh, as the market environment changes, though, I tend to do certain things like, uh, for instance, 
uh, with my stop loss and profit orders. If I if I find the markets are very congested, very sideways, I tend to run a tighter profit order and a looser stop loss. And if the markets seem to be more trending, I'll do the opposite. I'll run a a broader profit target and a tighter stop loss. This tends to be the exact opposite of what most people think is the right thing to do. And I, I think as with many things trading related, the obvious answer is not always the right answer. You know, you got to go with uh, with what the markets are doing and uh, trade accordingly. So, yeah, it's been a challenge to be sure. Now, Eric, but, was was this, did you find this out sort of trial and error? Was this sort of a formula that you kept testing and saying, listen, um, I need to sort of swap things around here. It's, it's not working mm-hmm. in a normal atmosphere. Things need mm-hmm. to be sort of fine-tuned, adjusted here. So you turn things around. Is that w- what you saw? Yeah, well, you know, Eddie, we've all heard the statistics that 90% of losing traders or 90% of traders lose money. So there's only 10% of traders uh, doing things right. So that means 90% of people are doing things wrong. So I looked at what are 90% of the people doing? Well, 90% of the people are running really tight stop losses. 90% of the people are trading too often. 90% of people are following too many uh, indicators. So I took the opposite of approach. I call it the George Costanza's uh, approach because there, there was that one Seidenfeld episode where George decided to do everything the opposite of what he was doing. And by the end of the episode, he was manager of the New York Yankees or something right. like that. So it's, uh, you know, I find trading to be very much like that. You think, oh, this should work. And yet it doesn't work. And uh, you'd be surprised how often kind of stepping back and and saying, okay, if the masses are doing this, what would happen if I did the opposite? And very often it will it will work better for you. So yeah, I, I took a step back and it was a little bit more contrarian that way. In our Facebook community, that question came up. You know, just to throw it out there, as, as a matter of fact, before that question came up in the Facebook community, had a conversation with, with a trader on the train talking about, you know, I should just do the opposite. But mm-hmm. what we try to do is we try to let the market, at least the right way to do it, is let the market tell you what it wants to do. Some of us, mm-hmm. I think, have the problem of interpreting what the market's trying to say or direction mm-hmm. it's trying to move. And I think that's where we sort of trip and fall, not realizing what we tripped and fell over. It's part of the success plan. Now, Eric, you being the president of IndicatorWarehouse.com. Now, see, now, I, I, I think like IndicatorWarehouse.com, I see this big factory building and you just walking down the aisles and picking and choosing indicators uh, off the shelves. All right. That's my visual, which is completely, yeah. you know, completely wrong. But at Indicator Warehouse, I imagine there are a lot of options that somebody can go uh, you know, talk to uh, somebody over there about what works for me, what indicators work for me. Let me mm-hmm. ask you, Eric, which indicators do you use and why? Okay. Well, at Indicator Warehouse, we've developed uh, specific uh, trading systems. The two premier ones are the Diversified Trading System and the Raptor Trading System. I'll just give you a brief overview of these, and then I'll give you some more generic type tools that I favor. But the diversified trading system it takes a unique look at the market. It's diversified in the sense that we have a tool for each market condition. 
So we have a scalping tool, a swing trading tool, and a trending tool. So depending what mode the market is in uh, on any particular day, we have the tool to take advantage of that market condition. So it's been specifically designed to pick up scalp signals or swing signals or trend signals. The Raptor trading system is a hybrid of the diversified trading system. We had uh, owners coming to us and saying, hey, Eric, I just don't have the screen real estate to run three charts. Can we condense this into one chart platform? And that became the Raptor. So it incorporates elements of the, the scalp, swing, and trend systems all into one chart. Now, that said, uh, just your basic generic type uh, indicators, I find a moving average really, really tough to beat. I also like things like uh, Donchian channels. Uh, any, anything to alert you to a new high or low is usually a very effective tool because uh, new highs and lows often signal the development of a trend. Uh, I'm also a big fan at Indicator Warehouse. We developed our own Renko bar style. We call it the mean Renko bars. I wasn't around for naming them. I think it's a terrible name for an excellent bar. But what it does is the whole idea behind a Renko or range style bar is that you can really see what the market is doing uh, as opposed to a time-based chart or even a tick-based chart. Uh, Renko bars, because they'll only print after a certain range has been fulfilled, you can really see where the support and the resistance levels are, and you can really see when the market momentum is starting to shift much better than you can in a time-paced chart. So I think uh, moving average, some sort of indication of a new high or low, and going with a Renko or range-style bar has some distinct advantages. Okay, now, Eric, are those fitting to most of the markets? Are there certain markets that uh, you need to sort of go a different direction or at least uh, set something up uh, a little differently? Uh, I think the challenge, they'll fit most markets, you know, assuming there's a reasonable amount of volume. You know, we're talking crude oil, not uh, you know, trading some exotic currency. But I think the challenge is in in the tweaking is finding the right brick size or bar size for your range style bar you want to generate an adequate number of signals but you don't want so many signals coming your way you can't make a decision uh, because they're unfolding too quickly um, and as far as moving averages go you know i think people agonize over um, tweaking their system so much so they they go down this rabbit hole and they forget the objective of this exercise is to make money, not to perfect your trading system, right? So they'll, I get emails all the time. Oh, should I run a 34 moving average or a 40 period moving average? Should I use exponential or simple? Should I, you know, and the questions go on and on and on. And it's like, listen, folks, if it was that easy, if it was just a matter of choosing a 34 exponential over a 20 period simple moving average, we'd all be making money. But you have to remember what these tools do. They are just tools. It's no different than uh, a circular saw or a hammer, right? If you don't know how to use the tool, if you don't know how the tool was designed to work, then it's not going to help you a whole lot. So the whole point of following a moving average, any moving average, is to see the average price. Are average prices going down or are they going up or are they going sideways? And uh, if you bear that in mind, rather than 
ignoring the price altogether and just micromanaging on, oh, my 20 period has crossed my 34 period. It's time to buy or sell or whatever. Uh, I think you'll do much better. Again, step back, take a look at what prices are doing. And, uh, you know, like you said, Eddie, it's it's a matter of, of following uh, what the market is doing rather than putting your own interpretation on what the market is doing. I think that's where the danger lies. Right. I agree with you there. And usually what I do is I call it the Google Earth. I look at the uh, the larger view of mm-hmm. the market. Mm-hmm. What direction is the market moving? What areas of interest are people trading? And I sort of calculate that with just the the outset of direction and you know actually looking at the chart and having you know the previous story being told to me so it sort of gives me a a little advantage of where the possibilities and opportunities might be eric we were talking earlier and we're talking about risk and rewards uh risk and rewards something that a lot of traders live by and really look to establish the low risk high reward now question eric why is it that you don't like risk reward ratios <laughs> how much time have we got eddie <laughs> Hold on, because i kick back and- i can go on for an hour uh on risk reward ratios alone and why you should not use them to structure your trades. All right, let's, you know what, let's break it down. Let's yep. simplify it. Uh, let's start out basic and then maybe we can sort of branch off into uh, some other reasons mm-hmm. why. The whole premise of a risk reward ratio, and again, this comes from experience. I, I sometimes, you know, get a little leery eyed at anybody who uh, keeps preaching, you know, risk reward ratio. We have to do it this way because I wonder, has that person ever really traded? Because a trading environment is very fluid. Risk reward ratios are very static. You're looking at your chart and you're saying, okay, this is what my risk will be. Let's say it's going to be $200. Therefore, my reward has to be $600. Well, the markets don't work that way. And what everybody does, you look at any textbook that preaches risk-reward ratios, they'll do their little experiment where they have 10 trades and they'll have 10 win or five winning trades, five losing trades. And look, because we made twice as much or three times as much money as we risk, at the end of the day, we still turn a profit. And that's all well and good. It works perfectly on paper, but it does not work so well real time. You should not base your trading decision on a part of the trading equation you have no control over, namely the reward side. You have very little control where the market's going to go next. The market will go higher, it will go lower. It may increase 10 times more than your risk amount, or it may only increase a one-to-one time relative to your risk amount. Nobody knows. If anybody tells you they know, they're lying. (laughs) The problem with risk-reward ratios is that they work out just often enough for somebody to look like a rock star and they say, hey, look at me, how smart I am. I was right. The market went exactly where I said it was going to go. Professional traders don't use risk-reward ratios the way most traders use them. Professional traders will use risk-reward ratios more in a hindsight-type fashion. 
they will base their trade on the part of the trading equation they know, namely the risk side. So they will control their risk going into a trade. Uh, so let's say they're trading a $20,000 account and they only want to risk 2% of their trading capital. So they will assume a position that has $400 at risk. Once that initial risk is only their safety net, that's right. there to keep you from blowing yourself up. When they watch the market unfold, you know, the market will move up, it'll move down a little bit. Once they get a more accurate idea of what the actual risk is, so let's say the market moves up a little bit and swings against you $100 before starting to turn and go higher again, your actual risk is $100. You did not know that going in, but your actual risk, the market has shown you, is now $100 because that's how far it came against you. That was your drawdown on this particular leg. Therefore, what the professional trader will do is he will say, aha, my drawdown was $100. My three to one reward to risk means I can probably anticipate a $300 move on this. Now, compare that if your initial risk was $400 and you're looking for a three-to-one return, you're looking for a $1,200 target when the market's probably only going to deliver $300. So, you know, traders, they're doing it, well, they're doing it wrong. And it's not their fault because there's so much bad information out there. Everybody regurgitates what everybody else says, and it comes off as, it sounds logical and everybody accepts it as gospel without actually trying it. But when you go to trade and you try to trade the traditional risk reward ratio, you will lose money. I guarantee it. Your trade should base, be based on one criteria and one criteria alone. Can you afford the risk? If you can afford the risk, you take the trade. It's as simple as that. If you cannot afford the risk, if the risk amount, if you need to place your stop in such a place where, let's say, you need to risk uh, $600 and 2% of your capital only allows a $400 stop, well, then you avoid the trade. You wait for the next signal. But uh, yeah, Eddie, like I said, I could go on and on. Um, most traders do risk reward wrong. They and they and What ends up happening as well is you end up passing on good opportunities because they don't look like good opportunities. You know, you structure your risk reward trade. You say, oh, okay, I've got $300 at risk. Oh, but there's a resistance area nearby. I can only get $100 profit. How do you know? <laughs> right? How do you know the market right. isn't going to blow right through there and go up $1,000 or $2,000? You don't. But you pass on the trade, and of course, what happens? The market blows the top and takes off without you. And then you're left scratching your head or kicking your butt or both. Uh, you know, Eric, one of the things, though, you know, we discuss in our Top Step Facebook community, we, we talk about the risk rewards. And I'm always trying to remind myself as I go into a trade day, what I need to think about is not how much I can gain. So I'm not looking at the reward, but I am looking at the risk. How much can I afford to lose uh -huh. each and every day? And I think that's what a lot of people trading, learning how to trade or having problems trading. Sometimes, you know, we get by 
for a week, two weeks, a month, three months. And then we sort of fall back into the bad habits that you know we're looking at and what we're trying to accomplish. And then we've we get that sort of greed, you know, how much money can I make today? I'm looking mm-hmm. to make back what I lost yesterday. And mm-hmm. I think that's uh, one of the bigger problems here a lot with trading and, you know, trying to find that holy grail, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I mean, there's just so many things, like you mentioned, there's a lot out there. And I have to agree with you too. A lot of spin doctors, a lot of information as it's at least shared uh, some of it is a bit faded and you, know, you can sort of see the smoke and mm-hmm. you need to sort of test it and figure it out yourself. But sometimes we don't have the time to do that. Uh, we don't have the money to do that. Now, as I mentioned, the Holy Grail light at the end of the tunnel. Let's talk about, is there a real secret to trading? Eric, what do you think is and if there is a real secret to successful trading? Well, you know what, Eddie? It's a perfect segue because the secret, I call this Wall Street's best kept secret. It's money management. It all boils down to money management. Uh, like you said, controlling your risk. How much can I afford to lose? You should have a um, an ouch amount. You know, if I lose X amount of dollars today, I pull the plug no matter what. On two separate occasions, I've met uh, two traders, one blew a $20,000 account and another blew up a $25,000 account in a single day. And I can't wrap my head around that. How, how is that even possible? So I think the, the real secret in trading, your objective is never to take a, another losing trade. That's not feasible because losing trades are part of the business. Your objective, of course, is to uh, make money. And in order to make money, you have to have good money management. Um, just as an aside, one of my most profitable months ever, I was only running like a 40% win ratio. 60% of my trades were losers, but it was one of my best months ever because I was using good money management. So what I like to look at money management wise is I'm a big proponent of having a trade quota. You know, I had a fellow come to me years ago and said, Eric, I want you to teach me how to be a scalper. I want you to show me how to take 100 trades a day. And I said, well, I can show you how to take 100 trades a day, but you'll never make money trading that way. I guess he didn't like my answer because he never came back. Um, I think, especially for the smaller account traders, I think it's really important that you set a trade quota. Some of my best days, I've only traded three or four times. Uh, the logic behind it is is really simple. It is a lot easier to find two or three winning trades than it is to try to find 20. You know, every time you dip your toe back in that trading pool, there is a chance that you will suck up a losing trade. And of course, as we all know, one loser can easily wipe out three or four winners, especially if we're running smaller profit objectives. So I think it's important to have a trade quota and that you finish the day profitably. So in other words, let's say I have a three trade quota on the day and uh, I want to finish the day with a profit. Uh, Let's say right out of the gate, I take a a $300 loser. Uh, My next trade is a $200 winner. So now I'm down $100. I'm running a three trade quota. So I still going to take one more trade And let's say that trade is a $200 winner. Now I'm $100 to the good. I stop trading. If I was still in the black, 
or pardon me, in the red after my third trade. I would take a fourth trade to try to get in the black. But regardless of what my profit was, whether it was $50 or $100 or $150, I would still stop trading. Because what people don't realize is trading is not a production line. You know, we mentioned uh, already how the market environments are changing and everything. You can't sit in front of your chart and expect every single signal to be the same as the signal before it. Markets tend to be very active at the beginning of the session. Usually they're active in the last 45 minutes, half hour of a session. And usually in between, we kind of get that sideways chop. So your best opportunities are earlier or later in the day. It's not like you can, like I said, like a production line where you can sit there and just stamp out your trades day uh, all day long. It doesn't work that way. So if you can find two or three winning trades a day, you can literally make as much money as you want. This is what a lot of people don't understand. Right. Yeah, like if you can find two $50 trades a day, that's $100 a day or one $100 trade. That's $20,000 a year on a single contract. If you're trading three contracts, that's $60,000 for two $50 trades a day. $60,000 enough. Okay, trade five contracts. That's $100,000. And you will you can make money that way, but you cannot make money trying to find 10 or 15 or 20 trades in a day. It it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, Eric, I tell you the the question is, how do I find these specific trades? You know, there's uh, we have the term called the sniper trader who waits for that one trade a day. You know, mm-hmm. the, the one shot, one kill and and patiently does that. You, you mentioned mm-hmm. the word management. Management is probably one of my top suggestions for a trader to reach success. You have to manage. You've got to be the boss. This is your company. All right. Uh, you're the president. This is your storefront. You are making decisions. You're pushing the button. Management on your account, not only uh, with numbers, you need to manage yourself too. So I like to sort of take that management blanket and put it over the technicals and, of Mm -hmm. course, the mindset. You have to manage yourself. You have to be in line. Uh, You can't uh, half-ass it, shortcut it. Uh, You need to be very thorough with your rules, uh, with your direction, and with your trades. Now, Eric, I mentioned mindset. Mm -hmm. What are some of the important mindsets, building blocks for a successful trader? What do traders need there? Well, I think, um, you know, I think you kind of nailed it uh, on the head there. Discipline is huge. uh, A lot of people start shooting from the hip. Like you said, they have a little bit of success or they get really excited because all of a sudden the market's making a really fast move. So they hit the buy market button and then, of course, it dies. But um, no, you definitely need to have discipline. You got to put in your time. Um, You know, I, I can show people things, but you still have to do your time. Uh, one of the fellows in our trading room comes to mind. He's done very well for himself. He's taken to heart a lot of the uh, advice that I've offered, and he's he's tested it for himself. He's found that it works, and he's made it a part of his own trading system. And he's gotten himself to the point where he almost blew up his account to the point where he's now routinely 
taking a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a day out of the market. And by the way, folks, he's only trading three times a day, unless the market is especially active. He's trading four times, but he's built his account to the point where he can afford to trade multiple contracts, where he's trading five contracts, six contracts, and capitalizing on those opportunities when they develop. I think the other mindset that you need to have is that it's okay to have a losing trade. I wish I could remember the fellow's name, but I remember years ago there was an interview done with floor traders, and there was this guy who was outperforming all the other guys on the floor, and they asked him, you know, why he's such a good trader. And he said, you know, back in school, I was just a C student. All these guys out here, they're all brainiacs. They're all A, A-plus students. He says, as a C student, I was used to being wrong a lot, and it never bothered him that he was wrong. Okay, I was wrong. If you're an A-plus student, it hurts to be wrong. You don't like to be wrong. You're right all the time, right? You're, makes you're, the, smart, yeah. you're the smart fellow or the smart girl, and uh, you don't like being wrong. But, you know, as my wife likes to remind me, I'm wrong a lot. So <laughs> it, it's okay to be wrong as a trader. You can't take it personally. Try to learn from your mistakes and go from there. So you incorporate discipline, you incorporate money management, and work on your consistency. And you do have to put in the time. I'm sorry. there, Like you said, Eddie, there's no real shortcuts. You got to carve it out of the ground to use a, a golf analogy. Uh, you got to find your own way more or less. It's part of a long journey. Thing is, too, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to put passion behind it. You don't want to have a career that's boring. The excitement, all right? On the other end of that spectrum, you know, the high levels of stress just coming in in the morning or knowing that my last day yesterday was, you know, I, I had my ass handed to me. Uh, I, I'm down <laughs> money. But see, the thing is, that's what we, we, we can't think that way. Like you said, being that C student, I'm in that category. You know, I wasn't no brainiac. There was a few subjects that I did better in than than others. Uh, To be honest with you, coming out of high school, I promised myself I don't want to get a job with numbers. I wasn't too well with numbers. And what do I do? You know, I get a job on the trading floor dealing with just numbers upon numbers with more numbers to add to those numbers. So it's, it's something that we have to set ourselves up for. Prior, you mentioned about Just trading, having your average number of trades, controlling, um, making sure that you are following along with your guidelines, with your rules. And when we start over trading, you know, if you said you, you did three trades a day, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. Now, when somebody has that three trade or maybe five trade or maybe seven trade average, and they see themselves trading 13 times, 14 times, 15 times. Now, we're starting to see a trader either kicking in some greed, I'm mm-hmm. indestructible, or we see somebody on the losing end trying to revenge trade to get that money back. I'll get it back this time. I'll get it back this time. <laughs> and they're just digging the hole a lot. I mean, this is, you know, you know, Eric, this is what I see just talking to traders and, and hearing, you know, their plights and their stories and, you know, their trade. It's something that you do see a lot. And you try to sort of head it off, letting others know that, you know what, hey, if you start seeing this, red flag should pop up and, you know, you need to sort of take a time out, take a few steps back, reevaluate, and then bring it back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Overtrading kills. 
<laughs> it's as okay. simple as that. That's right. Oh, if yeah. You, yeah, if you want to blow up your account, knock yourself out. But you'll have more fun in Vegas. <laughs> you might get a free drink. You might get Maybe a free drink. Your room. Sure, it's not steal an ashtray. Now, Eric, let's segue over to coaching. Now, you've been coaching for a while. And you mentioned, you know, talking to different traders, uh, having different problems, different situations. What are some of the problems you see when coaching traders? Well, we actually just touched on it. 90% of people who come to me for coaching are over traders. They will trade far too often during the day. And uh, they don't really have clear-cut guidelines why they're getting into a trade. A lot of them are looking at the chart and it's like, oh, this looks good. I'll buy or sell accordingly. Um, so overtrading for sure, the number one problem. Uh, the second problem, closely related, uh, poor money management is a, um, a killer. And it comes in two forms. They're risking too much, so they're not controlling their risk amount relative to their account. And they tend to strangle their trades. You know, they're trading from a position of fear. So they got their signal and they jammed their stop in ultra tight. And very often they'll get stopped out before the market has a chance to get anywhere or to go to their profit target. And then they can't figure out why they're not making any money. You see, you got to remember your stop loss is your safety net. Your stop loss is not a loss unless it gets hit, right? Your stop loss is your worst case scenario. But if you throw your stop in, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to be very careful with my money. Or again, going back to the risk reward thing, you look at your chart and you say, okay, prices are here. Resistance is $150 away. Therefore, I can only run a $50 stop loss in order to maintain that three to one relationship. You're strangling your trade. You're putting yourself right in the middle of where the market's going to move, and you don't, you don't have a chance. To increase your probability of winning, you need to run a reasonable stop loss. There's just no two ways about it. You have to have a reasonable stop. This was something a broker friend of mine tried to drill into my head years and years ago, and it, it took probably a year and a half before it sunk in that, yeah, he was right. Uh, I'm strangling my trades. I'm killing my trades before they even have a chance to go anywhere. So when you take that trade, set your stop loss at a reasonable distance. My personal rule of thumb, and again, this is a little easier to recognize because I'm using the mean Renko bars, I set my stop two swings back. The market will very often retest the first swing but it is extremely unlikely that it will retest a second swing. So there's my safety net. Two swings back, uh, the market may move against me a little bit, but it is very unlikely to stop me out. And then when the market starts to go in my direction again, well, now I can be a little bit more aggressive with my stops. So whereas my initial stop may have been $400, once the market starts to move in my direction, I can routinely reduce my risk by half, so now I'm only risking 200. So if my initial risk was 2% of my account, now I'm only risking 1%. And then as I move my stop up and up and up, even if I get stopped at that 1% mark, you are not going to wipe yourself out losing 1% of your capital. 
you will wipe yourself out if you routinely lose, you know, eight, nine, ten percent of your trading capital. But no, one percent, whatever. We call that a rounding error. So, um, you know, money management extremely important. Don't strangle your trades. Don't risk more than you can afford to lose, and don't trade too often. You do those three things, and you'll you'll start to turn things around. I, I'll, I can almost put it in writing for you. Well, there you go. Uh, doing the right thing to improve your success, and uh, you know those are great things that you're sharing with us here. Um, one of the things I find myself digging myself out of a hole is uh, accepting losses. And uh -huh. that is just so hard to do. But once you sort of file that under uh, management, managing myself, managing my account, putting it in terms of these are musts, these are need to be done, these are rules that I have to follow, it's going to put you on a successful track. Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. Now, before you go, uh, I've got to lay the Eddie question on you, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, sure. You ready? All right. Here's the I'm question. ready. All right, Eric, <laughs> if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? Well, I think first and foremost, I would encourage you to keep your trading simple. You know, most of the stuff that's out there is garbage. You have to carve it out for yourself. You got to spend some time with your charts. Uh, keep an open mind. See what works for you. Remember, the objective here is to make money, not to perfect a trading system. <laughs> That's a rabbit hole you will never emerge from. And be careful whose advice you follow, because a lot of the stuff that's out there is regurgitated. Like I said, <laughs> figure it out for yourself. But, you know, if you watch your risk amount, if you keep a reasonable stop, and if you don't trade too often, I think those are the three kind of steps that will start taking you in the right direction. Pay attention to those things. Learn from your mistakes. And I think before too long, you'll probably start turning things around for the better. Eric, I appreciate you being on here with us. Uh, now, uh, for those that are listening, which you're probably saying, get on with it, Eddie. Eric, how can we find you online? Uh, well, indicatorwarehouse.com is uh, the website. Um, you can click the Contact Us button. Uh, I'll always get all those emails, uh, or you can email directly at eric, that's spelled E-R-I-C-H, at indicatorwarehouse.com. Indicatorwarehouse.com. Check it out. Eric, thank you for the time, uh, sir, and uh, all the best to you. Uh, for Thanks, those Eddie. for those that were listening, uh, check it out and uh, tell them that Eddie sent you if you hook up with mm -hmm. Eric. Definitely. Trade well, Eric. And until we meet again, my friend, all the best. Thanks, Eddie. It's always fun. All Talk right. to you soon. Fantastic. And we're back. You know, I had a well-informed and fun interview with Eric. It's a perfect example of somebody setting goals for themselves, achieving them, and moving up the ranks. Definitely. What I find most interesting is that he taught himself to trade. That's something extremely unique. And learning to trade by fire is a perfect way to not be blinded by the many angles that are tossed into the education oh, yeah. ring. Mm -hmm. He found the correct path by himself. Not to say trading education is bad. Eric just took a different and sometimes some would consider a harder path to success. You know, traders these days, they do need a venue of education. You got to have an education, but it's just a matter of who, when, 
and where. I couldn't agree more. As far as is adapting to the changing markets, mentioning it as a learning curve and watching those markets unfold, he has different approaches for different developing markets. And that's something we as traders definitely need to have and sometimes miss. Mm-hmm. You know, stepping back, that's a problem. A lot of traders, they don't know when to step back. Stepping back and looking into what the majority of losing traders are doing and trying to look at what could be done to separate himself from those failed trades. He mentioned the George Costanza approach. Look at something from the opposite angle. Look at markets from a completely different aspect. And fortunately, it worked for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, One thing he did mention is not liking risk and reward ratios. You know, I think he says along the lines of noting a trade environment is very fluid and that risk reward is very static. I would honestly have to disagree. We can make those adjustments as we go, but for accessible trade, we definitely need to be paying attention to those risk reward ratios. You stepping up and saying that it, it just proves the point that we're all different traders. We're all looking at different things. We've all have different processes, some that work, some that don't. So it's a matter of you being yourself as a trader and moving forward with what works. Exactly. You really need to evaluate that type of stuff in your daily trading. And we are all going to have different opinions. You know, Another look at a trader's goal is having an edge in any and all your trades. I'd love to have that edge knowing what it is every single trade, but, you know, it doesn't happen. Um, as I was talking to Eric, I mentioned the holy grail in trading, which, you know, we both know and those are listening. It's the, the Sasquatch of the trading world. You know, we've heard about it many times from many different people, but it never seems to make the party. It's a trading illusion, but Eric puts it in perspective, which makes a ton of sense. Yeah, as he says, uh, Wall Street's best kept secret, money management. Mm. It's all about how we approach our trading day and preserve that capital. Personal awesome. It's following our rules. Or as our uh, founder here, Michael Botox, says, always trading for tomorrow. Trade for tomorrow. Exactly. And that's, that's something we all need to think each and every day. Now, trading for tomorrow. Personal loss limits, following your rules. You know, Danny, it's a detailed process that we all need to keep in perspective if we want to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Couldn't agree more, Eddie. And Eric had some great answers to these questions, and the interview was inspiring. All right, cool. You know, Danny, really happy that you joined me here today, and hopefully we'll get you back again. Thanks for having me, Eddie. All right, traders, as always, thanks for spending time with us. And if you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us reach new traders. So we'll see you next time. Danny, thanks a lot. Thanks, Eddie. I'm Eddie Horn. Take care. Editing and post-production of this episode was done by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.